Welcome to the Revelation Power Podcast. This is episode 23. And today we are looking in Revelation chapter 6 at the breaking open of the third seal. And now things start to get really interesting in these, what we traditionally have called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Actually, there are five. But we're going to begin in verse 5. And uh, again, in two sessions ago, we took verse 1 and 2. Last session, we took verses 3 and 4. And today we're going to look at verses 5 and 6. Revelation 6, verse 5. Then he broke open the third seal, talking about the lamb. Then the lamb broke open the third seal, and I heard the third living creature call out, Come! And behold, I saw a black horse right in front of me, and its rider was holding measuring scales. And I heard what seemed to be a voice from among the living creatures saying, A small measure of wheat for a day's pay, and three measures of barley for a day's pay. But don't harm the olive trees producing oil or the vines producing wine. We talked about the fact that the first horse is named in the book of Revelation. He's he's named Conquest. His rider is a conqueror riding out for conquest. And so we aptly refer to them as Conquest. The second is the fiery red horse whose rider rides forth to, to take peace from the earth, to make war. And so we rightly call him war. But traditionally, we've called the third horse famine. But he's not famine. And behold, right in front of me, I saw a black horse. And its rider was holding a balancing scale. A balancing scale. Throughout history, what has the balancing scale been the symbol for? Justice. Today, if you look up attorneys online, you'll see that over and over again, their logos contain a balancing scale. In John's day, things were measured by by weight, not so much by volume. And so they would, on one side of the balancing scale, they would set an object equal to the ration of wheat that you were buying or the ration of barley that you were buying. And in the Old Testament, again and again, the Bible, the prophets, God himself, correct people or threaten people with judgment for using dishonest scales or dishonest weights. The scale would be right. They would take the, the measuring weight, they would take all the weight off the scale, and it would balance out perfectly. But when they put the weight on that was to represent the balance for what you were to get, that balance was light. That weight was light. And so they'd go filling up the bucket that you were going to take home with wheat to the point that it balanced out, and then you owed them the, the price of that wheat. But they didn't, they didn't show you that the weight on the other side of the scale was light. So it was balancing out short of what you should have gotten for your money. It was a ripoff. All through time, people have ripped off the poor. So 
conquest brings war, brings injustice. Now, it does bring famine. It does bring hunger. It brings homelessness and and it creates refugees and it causes all kinds of problems. Excuse me. But the biggest problem with war is that it causes injustice. It, It, in fact, invites injustice. And so here behind war comes this rider on a black horse carrying a balancing scale. And a voice from somewhere among the beasts and creatures in heaven says, a small measure, a short measure, a cheating measure of wheat for a day's wages, and three cheat measures of barley for a day's pay. Now they were paid by the day with a single coin called a denarius. It was the day's wage. And it was a little silver coin about the size of our modern day dime, a little thicker. It was pure silver, as pure as they could make it. So it would be, in today's terms, um, an ounce of silver is worth about $24, not even close to a day's wage. Uh, That denarius in those days should have had the buying power of about $8 of today's money. You should have been able to buy a reasonable amount of of daily groceries for that $8. You could buy on the dollar menu and at least get enough to eat for the day, right? That day's wage should have provided you some oil, some wine, some bread, and a little bit of meat to feed your family. But in a time of war, when supply chains are interrupted and inflation goes through the roof, a day's wages for a short measure of wheat, for a cheating measure of wheat, enough to make one loaf of bread. Doesn't take a whole lot of wheat to grind the flour and mix it up and make one loaf of bread. A day's wages, in today's terms, let's say you make $15 an hour. That would be what, about 130 bucks? 130 bucks for one loaf of bread? We've never seen that in my lifetime. Now, I think we're about to get a whole lot closer. But remember, they get a cheating measure. They get a short measure. And so they're not even going to get the full measure required to make that loaf of bread or three measures of barley for a day's pay. Three cheating measures of barley. Now, barley smaller than wheat. And so from three measures of barley, you could probably make two barley loaves. You can get a loaf of wheat bread or two barley loaves for one day's pay for your 130 bucks. Those would be tough times. You could survive on that plus water for a long time. Now, you wouldn't be healthy, but you could survive. And and that's the point here. In war, survival becomes the issue, the priority. And those who have are further differentiated from those who don't have. And who does it hurt the worst? It hurts the poor.
this empire system in which we live harms the poor the worst. I said something in the book about the last election cycle, and there was one of the candidates for president who wanted to provide a, a basic income from the government to every citizen of the United States. The government would provide you a basic income, which was supposedly going to be enough to provide a place to live and buy food. That's what it would cover. Now, you weren't going to live very high and you weren't going to eat very well, but it was supposed to cover those minimum survival needs, a minimum guaranteed income. Where would it come from? Well, this candidate wanted to raise the taxes on all of the substances that manufacturers buy to manufacture the things that you and I use. It wasn't a sales tax. You and I weren't going to have to bear a sales tax. It wasn't an income tax. It wasn't even a production tax. It was a tax on raw materials. So anybody in the country who created things, who made aluminum cans, who made jewelry, who made clothing, they would have to pay this tax on the, on the raw materials that they bought to make those things for you. What are they going to do with that extra cost? You're right. They're going to pass it right on to us. So your can of pop that the manufacturers now had to pay more to mine and and manufacture an aluminum can, guess what? It's going to be more expensive. Your diapers that, that include all kinds of raw materials and chemicals, they're going to go through the roof. Your clothing, the cotton, the silk, the wool, even the plastic fibers make, making up your clothing, all going to go through the roof. So you and I who make a middle-class income, it's going to cost us more. It's going to be pretty miserable, but we're going to be able to make it. You know how I know this isn't famine? Because he says, don't harm the olive tree that produces the oil or the vines that produce the fruit and wine. It's not going to be starvation. There will still be olives and olive oil. There will still be grapes and grape juice and wine. It's not everything is leaving. It's just the bread of life that's going away. It's the staple. It's the thing upon which the poor have always been able to lean. The wealthy could always afford oil and wine. They've got it in decorative bottles in their houses. But the poor need bread. This injustice will affect the poor worse than anybody else. I want you to look with me just briefly at Amos, the book of Amos in the Old Testament. Amos chapter 8 beginning in verse 4, Amos. Uh, Amos was a, a minor prophet. That's what we call them. He was one of the little prophets with a skinny little book in the Old Testament. He says, Hear this, you who trample the needy and do away with the poor of the land. That's a kind way of saying, Hear this, you who abuse the needy and murder the poor. 
do away with. It's really pretty clear, right? We don't care enough for them but to just let them die or to hurry them on their way to that. Hear this, you who trample the needy and murder the poor of the land, saying, When will the new moon be over that we might sell grain and the Sabbath be ended that we may market our wheat? Skimping on the measure, boosting the price, cheating with dishonest scales. You buy the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of shoes, selling even the sweepings with the wheat. Wow. Talk about an indictment. The book of Amos is, is about a, a, a horde of locusts. It's about a locust plague. And Amos says, they're coming. You're going to survive it. Things are going to be hard. And here by the eighth chapter, he says, the people who are going to do the injustice in this little system, in this time of need, in this time of want, the people who are going to do the injustice are the rich people that have stuff. And he says, hey, you people that trample the poor, you need to hear this. You say, when will the new moon be over so that we can sell grain, so that we can make money, so that we can cook our bread, so that we can have our parties? When will the Sabbath be ended that we may put our wheat on the market? Skimping on the measure, boosting the price, cheating with dishonest scales. It's the same thing. It's the same idea that you get in Revelation chapter 6. And then he says this, you buy the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of shoes. They're bartering for their own profit. They're out in the marketplace to make their silver. And they don't care what that does to the needy. They are going to buy fancy clothes and nice shoes with the money that they're making from their enterprises and let the poor go without clothes or shoes. You buy the poor for a pair of shoes. Wow, what an indictment. What he's saying is you commoditize people. You treat people like cash cows. They only exist to help you make money and get rich. And if they're not doing that, you don't care about them. See, that's what he's talking about. Now, I look at my own country, my own time, my own people. And I think, is that what happens to us? There's been a whole lot of talk about uh, Elon Musk is buying Twitter. And everybody wants to believe that it's going to become a bastion of free speech if Elon Musk buys it. And, and I don't know about that. Someone else will be controlling it. But I don't think Elon Musk is going to protect the poor or protect those who haven't had their free speech rights honored. I think he's going to try and open it up wider so that it'll be a free-for-all and everybody gets to say whatever they want to say. There'll be less, there'll be less censorship, I believe, but not for good reasons to make Elon Musk richer, and he will be richer. 
And those of us who care about free speech for everybody, we don't really matter in this equation. Politicians make decisions every day to, to hurt our economy, especially in the last two years. I can just point to decision after decision made out of spite for the previous administration that this administration has taken action to undo something that was helpful to us and it's hurt our nation and they don't care. They, they closed oil drilling in certain sectors and in certain places. They knew it would close down tens of thousands of energy sector jobs. They did not care. Their agenda is to get everybody into alternative forms of energy. That means the ones that they're invested in, the people that they've made political deals with in order to line their pockets. Look who donates to their campaigns. Look where their crime families have made their money. It has been in the energy sector in alternative forms of energy. There is one alternative form of energy that far outstrips all the others, and that's nuclear energy. But they won't go there because of their environmental concerns. Meanwhile, they promote forms of energy that the generation tears our, our environment apart. Have you seen windmills fall apart? What's going to happen to them 10 years from now? Where will we throw away all the windmill pieces as they break? Have you seen what a, a solar farm does to the land underneath it? It shades it out. The land dies. The soil gets hard and compacted so that one day when you remove the solar farm, nothing will grow there. And today, while it's being used as a solar farm and nothing can grow there, that's wheat land. That's barley land. That's land that could be raising food for our country in a time when supply limits are driving prices through the roof. None of it makes any sense. The most efficient form of energy generation is nuclear. But because we don't know how to dispose of the waste, rather than solve that problem, we just won't build nuclear plants because one country was dumb enough to build one right down on the beach and they suffered a tsunami and it released radioactive elements into the ocean because one country was dumb, everybody else has to do without nuclear energy? Doesn't make any sense because they don't care. They don't care. Politicians don't go to Washington for your benefit. They go to make money. Look at how many of them came to Washington, D.C., poor, and now are multimillionaires. When I lived in Washington, we had a state senator who had run for office as this every person's representative school teacher in white tennis shoes. And she made a big deal of the fact that she couldn't afford any big transportation. She had to drive all over the state and walk the state in her white tennis shoes, knocking on doors and asking people to vote for her. And they did. Her grassroots campaign got her elected. She hasn't been out to see people in years. She's been in Washington for over 20 years, and now she's a multimillionaire. She's worked for 20 years at, what, $130,000 a year is the congressional salary, and she's a multimillionaire? Where'd that money come from? 
wasn't from wise investment. It's from kickbacks. It's from payoffs. It's from the support of big drug companies to try and get her to, well, she did, refuse to make prescriptions for seniors less expensive. She doesn't care what happens to needy seniors. She only cares how it affects her future, her fortunes, her pockets. The book of Revelation speaks into this culture. The rider on the black horse has a set of scales and they're rigged to take advantage of poor people because anytime there's a supply chain interruption, anytime there's a problem with food in this world, the first people that starve are the poor people. The people that it impacts the worst are the poor people. There will be conquest, there will be war, and then there will be an injustice that will cause famine and starvation among the poor. And again, this is a process that we've seen before, we're seeing now, and we will see again. It's not the one process that brings us to the apocalypse. It's the erosion, the decay of this process over and over and over that heralds the apocalypse. And one day, it will be the last time. It will be the last time the world can sustain. And to be honest with you, I thought we were a long way from that day, but now I think we're a lot closer than I thought. I think we're getting to that last time the world can sustain that decay pretty quickly. Where's the encouragement in today? Well, the encouragement is to you and I who care about fair scales, about proper measures, about making sure that the poor can access food. If I was pastoring a church today, you know what I would do? I would find an empty room that the, the church wasn't using, and I would begin to pack it with canned goods and non-perishables. I would just invite the people of my church that every time you go to the grocery store, if you see canned corn on sale, whatever it is, three for $2, pick up three cans. You see canned green beans for sale, pick them up. You see any kind of canned fruit or vegetable on sale, on special, buy one of the sets of special for yourself and buy another one and bring it to the church. And I would pack a room with non-perishable food items because the hurt is coming. These food shortages that are inconveniencing us now are going to be crises by the end of 2023, probably by summer of 2023. These things that are troubling us right now are going to plague us in the near future. If I had a church right now, I would go out and buy a big stand-up freezer and invite people to just fill it up with hamburger, with meat, roast, hamburger. You get a roast in your, in your quarter of a beef that you just bought and you don't like roast, bring it to the church. We'll take it. You got 80 pounds of hamburger. Could we have two? Just bring it to the church. Let's, let's pack away a freezer full of meat so that when people are in need, we can meet that need. How many churches are doing that today? I don't know any. 
because we don't care that much. We'd rather buy a pair of shoes than buy groceries for somebody else. He's talking about us. Who would buy a pair of shoes before we would take care of somebody else's food needs? You sell the poor for a pair of shoes. We've got to do better. Can I just encourage you today to make this a mission day? Go to the grocery store and, and buy some non-perishable food items and, and start a food bank at your church or take them to your local food bank. In Oklahoma City, there's a big regional food bank and they would welcome any donations. Just buy a, a separate bag with 10 canned good items and take it. Do your part. Anytime you go shopping, get what you need and then get something for somebody whose needs are greater than yours. The times are about to get hard. We cannot turn a blind eye to our brothers and sisters who are going to fall into deep need. Let's do something about it today and make it a great day because we cared enough to watch out for somebody else.